0: Amen, and you may be seated, and good morning. Y'all doing well? Great, we're glad to have you. For those of you I've not met, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. We are in a study of the book of Revelation. So if you brought your Bibles, or maybe you have a Bible app on your phone, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this week. So if you turn there, just a couple quick things. Uh, Just remind you that a... This is the Passion Week, so Friday night, we're going to have a Good Friday service, but it's not a service. It's a come and go between 5 and 8 o'clock. Uh, we encourage you to come by yourself, come with your family, come with friends, however you want to do it. The auditorium will be set up for, there'll be a place you can just go kind of slide in, pray, pray. Uh, Maybe read some scripture, prepare your hearts When you're ready, uh, there will be uh, some of the pastors down here And we invite you just to come And if there's a little line, that's fine And and then we'll uh, serve you communion And so that's on Friday night Then, of course, the weekend Don't know if you've been to an Easter weekend before But it typically is when everybody who calls Desert Springs their home is here That means... Those who are here about once every three weeks, they all show up in the same week. It's crowded. So I say that to say this, we want you to come, uh, but for those of you that are real regular, if some of you wanted to try the Saturday night service, uh, there will be a little bit more room there. Uh, The 8 o'clock service, there will be a little bit more room there. There probably won't be, and some of you, if you come at your regular time, may find yourself in an overflow room next week. That's just for whatever it's worth, all right? Uh, we're also not having Bible studies because we do want to just as quickly as we can kind of clear out the parking lot for all that. So just want to make you aware of that. And then lastly, if, if you weren't with us last weekend, we broke ground on phase one. Uh, we talked about phase two and our, our need and what we were going to try to raise and, and tr- to get that going. And so we asked you to take these two weeks to pray. About what God would lay upon your heart to do and to think about a pledge. And again, pledges between you and the Lord, but it just helps us to know how to plan. And so to be praying and bringing that next weekend, and that would be great. Here's our text. Let's read the first seven verses together. I'll read out loud. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, to the church at Ephesus. So, these are seven local churches. The first one he's writing to is the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a fairly significant city. It was not the capital of Asia Minor. Uh, That was Pergamum. But Ephesus was a very significant city of the time. It was a free city. It was a city where there were no Roman soldiers, right? They basically had the same status as if they lived in Rome. It was... uh, fairly good size they think someplace between about 250,000 and a half million people that lived there it was where four roads in Asia Minor so if you're not familiar with where it's at uh, the west side of what is today Turkey there's Ephesus and you'll see that it's very close to the Aegean Sea in fact the uh, uh, Castra River was just three miles from the Aegean Sea and so that actually caused Ephesus to be a uh, a seaport so it had a lot of traffic and stuff going on also one of the great wonders of the ancient world was the temple of Diana Diana is the Roman god the Greek god was Artemis uh, it, it's a woman uh kind of grotesque quite honestly multiple breasts and very sensual sexual in nature so lots of prostitution both uh, male and female prostitution lots of crime in the city by the time we get to this place in history so we think late first century the city was actually was losing some of its importance because all the silt coming down from the mountains and and if you've ever been that part of turkey you'd know it it is very mountainous but the silt was going down and actually pushing the aegean sea farther away so at the time of the first century the aegean sea was like three miles down the uh K-Kaester river today it's six miles and so it was going through this, this transition that is there. Now, I was privileged in 2016 to be there. Uh, this is the model that they actually have. You can kind of see some of the mountainous things. You can see some of the amphitheaters that were in town. The Temple of, uh, of Diana, which I say was a magnificent structure 420 feet, 5 feet long, like 220 feet wide, 120 columns, massive columns that were donated from kings all over the world and this is really what they were known for it would have been uh actually kind of up and to the right of of this this model there but as you walk through the ruins the ruins of ephesus are incredible these are some of the gates and you can see the uh, detail with which and the carvings this kind of this is the main drag so it gives you kind of a sense of the size and the scope of the city uh this the shots would have been on either side but see how wide it was to handle the traffic ephesus is probably best known for this as part of the ruins today this is not the temple of diana this is the library it was two stories uh so Uh, education literature was very important at Ephesus and it was the most amazing thing happened we're there in 2016 and a guy by the name of Samson showed up at that same time and he was there um, you know and he was arrested for breaking more pillars and all of that the had it had a couple of Amphitheaters. This is the biggest one, the one that was kind of in the center of that model. <clears throat> and if you are familiar with Acts chapter 19, you'll remember at one point the silversmiths, because people weren't buying their statues, created a big riot in the city of Ephesus. And it probably took place here in this amphitheater. But once you walked outside, there was this great walkway that walked down to the uh keister river and so this is where all the traffic would have come from bringing all the stuff in so pretty magnificent city the church then that was at ephesus was founded by paul along with aquila and priscilla in acts chapter 18 so it's at the end of his second missionary journey he's traveling back and he started the church there and left aquila and priscilla And if you remember, while they were there, a young man came along by the name of Apollos, who uh, was very new to the faith, and then they helped disciple him, and he pastored there. And then Paul came back in his third missionary journey and actually spent three years in Ephesus. So he pastored there. Then Timothy, Paul sent him to pastor there. And we think that John, who wrote the book of Revelation... In the late 60s actually moved to the area of Ephesus And served as the pastor and elder there also So, I mean, what a what a litany of pastors, right? You're founded by Paul You've got, you got Apollos You've got uh, John, the Apostle John you, You've got Timothy And God did some incredible things I mean, this is a very wicked city, right? A very pagan city And yet God did this great work there. You get to Acts chapter 19, a lot of occultic stuff, and it says that many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted at the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of books. But they're turning from their occultic practices. Later on in, in Acts chapter 19, this is when the silversmiths you know, they're nobody's buying their uh, their little idols and, and statues anymore to Diana, and so they create this riot. God was at work. You know, we've we've uh, been talking collectively as the church in America about revival the last. Uh, few weeks and months with you know some of the, what's gone on in different places and folk that's a revival right people were getting saved lives are being changed it was a, a incredible time so that's kind of a little background there to the church at Ephesus and it says then the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this so who's the speaker here well the speaker is Jesus so all of that goes back to chapter 1. Jesus is the author of the letter. He's the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's back in um, verses 19 and 20. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And as we talked about two weekends ago, the idea that he holds them in his hand is that he is the one who has authority over the church. He is the one, the church belongs to him. And we mentioned this again, and I just want to say it again. You know, Desert Springs does not belong to you or to me. It doesn't belong to our elders. Desert Springs belongs to Jesus. He's the owner of the church, right? We have the privilege to serve him and to be the the ones responsible as the under-shepherds in this period of time, but it's his church. He holds the messengers in the palm of his hands. That's the authority. And what he is doing as the owner of the church is he's walking amongst these lampstands. And so that gives us the idea that he's near, but in his nearness, what he is doing is evaluating. He's looking at it, and he's giving his evaluation. Now, let me ask you, how would you feel if I told you that next Sunday... I was going to read a letter to you from Jesus who actually showed up and saw all that we were doing and gave us an evaluation. And oh, by the way, he's going to put it in a book and people for all the centuries are going to know all of our stuff. Maybe not all that exciting, right? Maybe a little scary. But that's exactly what's going on. And as he writes these letters, there's five pieces to it. They, they all kind of have the same general way in which they go. The first thing he starts with is a commendation, something good uh, about them. Then he moves to a condemnation, right? Here's something that you need to work on, uh, you need to fix. Uh, by the way, if you ever wanted to know how to do... Uh, conflict management well That's a great way Start with something good My dad always put You got farther with honey Than you do with vinegar Right So start with saying something good Before you drop the, the hammer on them uh, So that, that's what they did The third then piece is the command Right This is what you need to do to fix it And if you don't, the fourth piece is here's the possible consequences that you're going to face as a church if you don't fix this problem. And then lastly, there's a promise. So let's look. What's the commendation here? Verse 2. I know your deeds. Now let's stop there. First of all, let's not forget what we learned in chapter 1. In this description of Jesus and his glory, his eyes were a burning fire and we talked about how jesus when he sees he doesn't see the facades that we put up he he doesn't see the 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 mass that we often try to put towards others his eyes know truth his eyes know what's what his eyes see to the cores so we're going to see here, It's it's going to go to even the very core of their heart and so jesus evaluation of the church is going to be perfect it is going to be complete it is going to not be um, thrown off by by reputation or by what others perceive he is going to look to the core of this and give his evaluation and this is his evaluation i know your deeds and your toil your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who called themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false literally you found them to be liars and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary and then in verse 6 yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the nicolaitans which i also hate jesus evaluation is first of all i know what you're doing your your deeds that's a very general term that is really described by your toil and your perseverance so these were people who worked hard for the cause of the gospel the idea of toil has the idea of sweat it has the idea of of agonizing work perseverance you know they lived in a very pagan culture and yet they pushed through. They, they lived in a place where the culture was against the heart of what they believed, and yet they, they pressed on. They didn't give up. They didn't throw up their hands. They didn't get mad. They didn't go hide and put a pillow over their head. You know, today, as, as believers, we're, we're obviously watching our culture here in America turn. It's becoming very pagan, very sexualized. I mean, all this thing that's going on with, you know, drag shows and um, gender issues and all of this stuff. Right? It's it's, it's just being overwhelmed with this. It, and and as believers, what a reminder to us that it's not new. You know, there. Solomon put it like this There's nothing new under the sun And it's true Yes, it may be new to America That America being founded on Biblical principles That we are certainly moving that way But from a world perspective It's not new When people don't know Jesus When people don't have truth They're looking for meaning And sadly they look in all the wrong places That's the downward spiral of sin And that's what's happening in our culture but these people lived, they were born in this culture. Didn't change on them. It just was what it was. There's prostitution, there's crime, there's homosexuality, there's there's adultery. It's just it is, but they persevered. They persevered. Not only did they persevere, but they walked in holiness. That you cannot tolerate evil men. I've got often wondered if in the sense of that is, you know, that they lived Matthew 18, that when they saw someone overtaken with fault, they would go to them, right? And they would, they would stand for truth. Um, and then he says, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be liars. One of the biggest things that the has face in the early years, and yet today it's the same, is false teachers. But think about it. In the first century, the canon of scripture was not finished. They didn't all just have Bibles that they could go, mm, right? But they had the teachings of Paul, they had the teachings of Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla, and they had the teachings of Timothy, and they when when people would come and, and with false doctrine they would line it up with the truth that they knew and they and so they were doctrinally astute they were doctrinally correct they're 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 there and they would they would find them to be liars, and they would expose them, and they wouldn't listen to them. You know, so many of the books in the New Testament are written to churches that are listening. You know, uh, Galatians, Colossians, they're listening to false teaching. And so the book is written to correct that. But not at Ephesus. No, 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 they, they knew truth, and they stood on truth. <laughs> I used this last night, and I was thinking about it at home man probably half the people didn't get it i said you know this is almost like the good housekeeping seal of approval and i thought oh that's an old person's joke right verse six he says yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the nicolaitans and what's the deeds of the nicolaitans and there's some discussion about that if you break down the name it it it, some have thought that it implies the idea of the elevation of the clergy and it it might Uh, i would say historically if you look at it uh if you remember back in what is it acts chapter six when the first deacons are appointed one of them is a man by the name of nicholas and historically it seems like nicholas at some point went off the rails and begin to to teach a, a very lascivious type of lifestyle and, and, and self-indulgent. Clement of Alexander said this about the Nicolaitans. They abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats. Now, folks, that's tweetable. I like that. Because, <laughs> again, man, you think of our culture. They abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats, leading a life of self-indulgence. But here... The Ephesians who live in it that no, they're standing for truth. In fact, I think that's why he even says you, you cannot tolerate evil men. The church at Pergamum they they didn't hate to, they embraced it, and that's part of their condemnation. But not the church at Ephesus. So here's a church that is busy serving the Lord. Here's a church that is even motivation. Notice what he says there in verse um, verse three. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, right? You—they're you, living in the time of domination when he's persecuting the church, unlike any other time in Roman history. In fact, that's why John's on the Isle of Patmos because of this type of persecution. And you pushed through, and you persevered, and you're 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 serving the Lord, and you're 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 standing on truth, and you're doctorally, man, you got everything square then you get to verse 4 but but I have this against you that you have left your first love that will give you pause can it be that it is a church can it be as a as a believer that we can be quote unquote busy serving the Lord, toiling, persevering, standing in truth, not denying the name of our Lord, walking in holiness, and yet there's a problem. We're going to look at All seven churches All the condemnations But if I were, could be transparent with you This is the one That bothers me the most It's the one that I think Hits closest to home Because so often It is so easy for us To look at our busyness And to look at our size And to look at you know all that we're doing And yet what we're reminded of, what Jesus is most interested in is this relationship with him, this, this passion. This, this is the combination. There's something wrong with this internal passion. You know, when they, when they were first saved, man, there's this, this desire to know Jesus and to come to the word, to meet him, to follow him, to do whatever he tells us to do and now they're all established and everything is going on, but something's happened with that passion. Isn't that at times what happens in marriages? Man, you first meet, and oh man, all the butterflies, and the the heart skips a beat, and then you get married, and you live together, and, and stuff becomes routine and you start taking it for granted and pretty soon there's passion's gone not being mean not being unkind you're just two people living two separate lives their love had grown cold without passion Folk, where's our love? Our love. Our first love for Jesus. You know, one of the things that, again, I just being transparent, one of the things I fight is: do, do I come to the Word to meet Jesus or do I come to get my next sermon? That may not be hard for you, but that's hard for me. Do where is my love relationship with Jesus do I spend time with him in prayer and to seek him like I used to or sometimes now Does man the busyness of serving and the busyness of small groups and the busyness of uh, being involved in this ministry and that ministry actually get in the way of my passionate relationship with Jesus I mean we've all seen Sad. But we've all seen pastors who God has blessed and they're very gifted and talented people. But they have to step away from ministry and shame. And what I I don't know a lot of them, but my my hunch would be: what really happened was this. They just lost their first love. It can happen it can happen to us as a church it can happen to us in the midst, So I've often said the hardest time for a church to live for Jesus is in the midst of the blessing I can tell you we were in those times when there was not much blessing right it was hard and the only thing we had right the only way we were going to make it the only way that even the church was going to survive is that jesus showed up and so man it's kind of easy to hit your knees and it's easy to to be engaged with the lord but man when things are when things are moving and grooving and man the the worship is so great and, and and you know people are coming and the excitement is here and But what about your first love your first love so here's the command this is what you need to do it's threefold therefore remember from where you've fallen repent and do the deeds you did at first three things first of all remember remember what was it like what was it like when you first met Jesus? What was your relationship with him? You know, when you just couldn't help but get into his word, you didn't even understand it, but there was something that was just cool about being there. You know, someone once said that the happiest fellow in the world is a new Christian till he's met too many Bible scholars. <laughs> what was it? Remember, and then repent. What does repent mean? Repent means a change of mind, right? Because here's the thing with this church. This church thinks everything's good. This church says, hey, look at our works, right? They, they thought they had everything. But now they got to see it the way Jesus says it, and they got to change their mind. This is not where we ought to be. There's something that's wrong, and then what do you do? The third thing is you go back and you do again. You do again what you did. Man, you come to the Word just to meet Jesus. You go pray just to spend time with Jesus. You know, and so often in relationships, the question becomes, well, what comes first, right? The emotion or, uh, you know, or the passion uh, or or the works. And, And what I always try to argue with people is that typically what comes first in a relationship, right? When you first meet, it's like the emotion comes first. But in marriage, as it goes, what comes first is... You you serve as a husband. You love your wife as christ loved the church But things aren't going very well and I don't really feel like that and it's like I don't want to love her that way Well, I don't care just do it And as a wife well, I I don't want to be that help me I don't want to come alongside. I don't feel like that Well, just do it and what you will find is that if you will do the right thing so often the emotion will follow And i've seen marriages changed because they chose to do the right thing and God rekindled the passion. It was the same way with Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. Haven't we all had those moments where we knew we needed to go spend time with Jesus, but man, we're so busy. We've got so much on our mind, but you know. And so grudgingly, let's be honest, grudgingly, we opened the word But as we begin to read, as we begin to think, as we begin to meditate and the reality of Christ in our life, and all of a sudden we're sitting there and we're just going, man, why would I never, why don't I just want to be here all the time? Do the first things. Now here's the possible consequence, because if you don't or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent this is sometimes a a difficult we talked about it a lot in the book of hebrews this sometimes is difficult for christians to understand and that is that with the children of god those who are saved those who belong to him there is the reality of discipline and judgment within the family of god why because he loves us he wants us for our best peter puts it like this for the time for judgment to begin with the household of god if he begins with us first what will the outcome be uh for those who do not obey the gospel so he says or else i'm coming to you now some people go well you know that's talking about the second coming because this is the revelation of jesus and this is what this is about that's not what that's about jesus second coming is not or else he's coming back This is, or else. You straighten up, or else. I'm coming to you. I'm going to take your lampstand. Judgment is imminent. We don't know when. But his point is, man, you've got to get this corrected. And he couldn't help but think of those words in Hebrews that we looked at in our study there just a few months ago. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges. Why? Why? because he cares about us this is important and what's sad what's sad is that there are churches who do not heed this message there was a time when they're man they're all aglow they're they're loving jesus they're passionately serving him and when you're passionately serving jesus what are you doing well you're connecting with others and you're living on mission and they're reaching their community and people are getting saved and 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 yet as time goes you know these programs are there and they really like the programs but the programs aren't working anymore and and so now they come to the point well we're not really seeing people get saved but we really like these programs so we're going to keep the programs instead of going after what's a better way to reach the community and right now who are they loving themselves or jesus they're loving themselves they don't fix it there will come a time when death will come to that church i've been there i've stood there i've been in those services where to close in a church a church that had a wonderful testimony, a church that got plaques on the wall of people that have served Jesus and and loved and and, and great stories. But truth is, they're closing the church today and not one person in the community really cares because their testimony has been removed. It's been dead for a long time. It's important. It's important. Then we get to, and I got to hurry because this is the most difficult one and I'm out of time. So verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so he's been talking to the church at Ephesus, but now he takes a step back and basically he includes us, right? Let, Let everybody listen to what I'm saying to the churches. This isn't just about the church at Ephesus. This is about us all. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Here's the promise. To the overcomers, man, there's an incredible future. One of the fun things is in all these promises, none of them point to something in the tribulation. All of them point to something in chapters 21 and 22, which is the new Jerusalem and the eternal state. Right? It's our future. Now, the question... The question that you have to wrestle with is when he says to the overcomers, Who is the overcomer? Is the overcomer like a select part of the body of Christ, of believers, who listens and repents? And does the warnings and, and, and so like we would talk a lot About about rewards and inheritance Right because the Bible talks about that For, for believers and, and when you're faithful In your service is that who he means By overcomers Or does he mean By overcomers does he just simply Mean all believers And he's pointing us to Our future and this is why This is why we're reminded To just live for jesus have passionate love for him because one day we're going to be with him for eternity and, and it's a difficult question and you know preachers right uh we're not always right but we're never in doubt uh, but i gotta be honest with you this this is a hard one this, this is, and i'm i'm not you know, we could disagree on this one But I think when you look at how the word is used Both in Revelation and how John uses it I really think he's actually just talking to all believers here He's reminding us of our promise Um, He uses the word overcomers again later on I think it's in chapter 12 verse 11 And he says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb And the word of their testimony Well these people, right They're standing for the name of the Lord. So so it's all there. Um, John uses it like this in his epistle. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is? So again, a more general thing. And then I was thinking back in the gospel, Jesus actually uses this term in John 16, verse 33. He says, in the world you will have trouble, trial, tribulation, but be a good cheer i have overcome the world and it's interesting to me when he states that is that pre-cross and resurrection or post-cross and resurrection it's pre he's looking ahead i think that's a sense it's it's the promise that all of us have this world's not our home Right, Live for that day. Engage with Jesus. This is all about our relationship with him. He loves you. Don't lose your passion for him. Don't lose the, the reality in the midst of all that you do for him. that This is built out of a personal relationship. Jesus cares way more about having your heart than having your deeds. It's about relationship.